Hi, Timmy Whispers here from Gimme the Hot Sauce Podcast. The two-way V4 features groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam, creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Fuel cell gives you the ultimate energy return, ensuring every step feels explosive and dynamic. Fresh foam offers unparalleled cushioning for maximum comfort for the entire game. The upper construction features a lightweight textile that reduces weight while remaining supportive and breathable. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way at newbalance.com. Hey, it's Timmy Whispers from Stacey King's Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track, all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, three-year, 30,000-mile complimentary maintenance, and America's best warranty ensure you can take on any adventure. I'm planning on going river rafting this weekend, and I'm ready to head out on the trails with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. America's best warranty claim based on total package of warranty programs. See dealer for limited warranty details. Complimentary maintenance included Hyundai approved oil and oil filter change, except for electric vehicles and fuel cell electric vehicles, plus tire rotation, normal factory schedule maintenance intervals for three years or 36,000 miles, whichever comes first. More frequent maintenance due to severe driving conditions or conditions is excluded. Offer valid only for new 2020 or 2024 Hyundai models purchased or leased on or after February 1st, 2020. See your Hyundai dealer for further details and limitations. Welcome into a brand new edition of the Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast. We have reached episode 69. So, Tim, you got anything to say about episode 69? No, you already know what's going on in my mind. <laughs> well, what is going on in your mind? We'd like to know. Well, it's, it's better. What does 69 do for you? Yeah, what does 69 mean to you? Well, afterwards, it's a 96. <laughs> <laughs> Does that help at all? I thought we'd start the show with a bang, and we got a whimper, Stacey. Yeah, I don't know. It's like it's like one of those like when the the air goes out of the out of the balloon. If Tim can't give us anything on sixty nine, I don't know. That's terrible. I thought you were waiting all week. You knew 69 was coming up. Yes. Come on. Episode 69, another milestone. We're funnier than that. That's like saying you drive a Yugo. It's just not that funny. (laughs) You're better than that. We're better than that? Yeah, we're okay. better than that. Yeah, I agree with you, Tim. Tim holding us to a higher standard, Stacey. Yes, I never thought that is. would happen. Yeah, I, I never thought that would happen. <laughs> I'll bring it down with the, the, the guy who plays handball on a curb. He's, that's how low he is, uh, America. <laughs> wow. well, well, since we started with that weak attempt at humor, we're going to tell you we got something special coming up. we got a Hall of Fame guest on episode Woo! 69. The human highlight film, Dominique Wilkins, is going to join us. We'll ask him about that great slam dunk contest against Michael Jordan in 88, his epic battles with Larry Bird in the playoffs, and of course with MJ and Stacey's Bulls. So that's coming up in our next segment. But first, we got to talk about a milestone. Back in the win column, Stacey King. It was tough, but the Bulls got the win they had to have in Detroit. I'll tell you what, I was a little nervous. Yeah, me I was, too. I was, no, I was a little nervous about three quarters. Yeah. Because, you know, one, it just it seemed like they, they came out flat. You know, they, they, 
they I don't want to say they came out flat. I thought in the first quarter they played that that initial first quarter they played really well, and then they started making some subs, and then the intensity went down. Yeah. They kind of forgot what got in the lead. They were attacking the basket. Vooch was getting balls inside, um, and they were they were kind of they were kind of having their way with Detroit. They, they had were. like an eight point lead, and then all of a sudden it was a timeout, a couple of subs here and there, and the energy level went down. And then Detroit made that little run. Um, you know, you got to give Detroit a lot of credit. I mean, you know, they had won six of eight coming in. Mm-hmm. You know, and they've been playing really really well, um, and we we haven't been playing well. And so um, I thought the difference in the game last night was we got to the free throw line. Um, now, I mean, you know, I know the Piston fans are like, well, it, it was the, it was an uneven game called. Well, welcome to our world. We've had like yeah, we've five games that. like that. So, <laughs> um, so the, the, the officiating benefited us last night. Um, guys went to the basket. Vooch didn't shoot threes. He took one, I think he took one three pointer last night and stayed inside. And that was a difference, yeah. but they didn't have any size. Isaiah Stewart was out. They had to play Bagley at center and he just didn't have enough, uh, strength to, to battle Vooch down low. And Vooch kind of killed him. I thought the difference was the defensive intensity in the fourth quarter. We heard afterwards some of the guys were saying that the veterans like DeRozan and Thompson and Levine were were exchanging some words in the, in the timeout huddles. Yeah. Like, hey, we got to lock in because we ain't going to lose to this bunch. Well, let and me, they held them to 17 points in the fourth well, quarter. Well, let me just say this. You know, Tristan Thompson has been um, the veteran that has called guys out and holding guys accountable. Not so much in the media. But, you know, in the game when someone misses an assignment, mm-hmm. he's going to tell you. And, and and he demands that he has that leeway because he's played on championship teams. Uh, he's been an anchor defensively on championship teams his whole career. Um, you know, he knows how to play defense. He knows how to rotate. And when he's not seeing it, you know, he's going to let you know. You yeah. know, guy's not boxing out, you know, and leaving, leaving before we get the ball. You know, you see him telling guys like, hey – you got to stay in the play until we secure the basketball. You can't leave till we get the ball. And I thought last night um, when he he ripped <laughs> he ripped in some guys. We had it on we had it on the air last night, and we we cut to it. And he was he was so mad, like he literally walked out of the huddle. He was so mad, and you could just look at like Kobe White's face. You know, some of the younger players. Io was looking at him like his like his dad was talking to him. <laughs> you know, um, and that's the kind of respect Christian Thompson has with the younger players. They know he's been there, done that. Uh, so they're not going to get upset about it. They're not going to be like, who is he talking to? Da, da, da. They respect that. That's kind of like Bill Cartwright stepping up, saying something to myself and BJ and Scotty or Horace, you know, the younger guys. Uh, you respect that. And plus he's out there doing it. He's out there doing his job. So I thought that really sparked him. Um, you know, DeMar said he had said some words too. Uh, you know, Billy Donovan said some words. So um, I, I think that just woke them up. And in the fourth quarter, the one thing I saw, Mark, that was different than I've seen in the last five games was guys were uh, staying focused. They were locked in to what they were supposed to be doing. The rotations were tight. Guys were boxing out. Mm-hmm. No one was getting no offensive rebounds for guards. Long shot, long rebound. The Bulls were able to get to those balls, those 50-50 balls, which I, I thought was a difference. Yeah, and early on, Kate Cunningham was able to get in the paint, and he was just disrupting their defense. He was either scoring or he was passing out to the wing for open threes. And in the fourth quarter, they finally kind of locked in on him and kept him from going where he wanted to go. Well, and it's it's this time of the year, man, where – and I've said this during the broadcast. This is – the mentality that you have to have right now if you're the Bulls is you have to have playoff mentality right now. 
a lot of these guys have never been in playoffs, so they don't know what the intensity level is. They don't know that the game actually changes when the playoffs start. You know, you're not going to be doing the same things you did in the regular season in the playoffs because teams have – when you're in that first round of seven-game series – Teams have the ability to lock in on you and take away your strengths and make you force you to do your weaknesses. Uh, where in your 82 games, really teams don't focus on you so much because, like, say you're playing a Western Conference team, you only see them twice a year. You know, Eastern Conference team, depending if they're in your conference or not, you're going to see them more per se than you're going to see somebody from another conference in the East. So, uh, but when the playoffs start, they lock in and it becomes a half court game. It doesn't become, it is not a fast, you know, fast break game. It is a, it is a half court game and it's a chess match. It's adjustments made at timeouts, adjustments made, you know, in the end of a quarter, you know, and, and they're, they're going to take away a lot of things the bulls are doing. And the bulls right now have no problem scoring. They have no problem scoring. Okay, it's the defense that's hurting them, you know, in these last five games and most of the season up top ball screens. And if they don't they don't secure that and get better at that before the playoffs, it's going to be a short series for them. DeMar said afterwards that he asked Billy to bring him in earlier in the fourth quarter. He said, if I got to play 48 minutes for us to get a win, I'm going to play 48 minutes. And they, they really rode him in the fourth quarter. He had 16 points. He hit some really tough jumpers down the stretch with guys right in his face, contested 15 footers. He was knocking them down. Are you concerned at all about them, the heavy reliance on DeMar to go one-on-one to try to win these games? You know what? I mean, it, it kind of reminded me of the, the movie The Predator when Jesse the Body Ventura, when uh, one of the guys, I think it was Carl Weathers, said, hey, you're bleeding. I ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> and that's kind of what DeMar said last night. It's like, hey, I'm not going to sit out all these minutes in the fourth quarter and let this team come back and win. Yeah. You know, so he asked Billy to go back in the game. Um, they've been relying on, on DeMar ever since all the injuries happened. You mm-hmm. know, and, and I think – He's imposed his will. Like he's, I don't think people realize how, like, DeMar was a number one guy pretty much his whole career. He's never been the number two guy. He's never been the number three guy. In Toronto, he was the number one guy. And then it was, you know, Kyle Lowry, but he was the number one yeah. guy. So this role to him is no different than what he's played his whole career. I think people thought because Zach is Zach's team and Zach's the number one guy, that DeMar would fall back into being a number two option. But he's clearly shown that, you know, he's a one, a one A. He's a number one guy. And he, you know, he doesn't miss games. You look at his career. I said this last night. This is probably one of the most durable players in the league. He plays an average of 76 games a year out of an 82-game season. And had he not got COVID, he probably would not have missed any games this year. So uh, you know what you're getting out of DeMar. And the fourth quarter, he relishes that opportunity. I think he's he knows this is my time, you know. And he he got off a little bit, you know. First quarter was a little slow for him, but then he starts picking it up in the middle quarters when the Bulls needed him to score. Um, and then you know, fourth quarter, I think he knows that's you know that's Demar Derozan time. Help is on the way. Alex Caruso cleared for full contact practices. We're recording this show on Thursday afternoon. He's cleared to practice on Friday. Patrick Williams is going to do some limited contact work, so hopefully he's not that far behind. Lonzo's a little bit further back. He still hasn't started lateral cutting and things like that. But how important is it going to be, first of all, to get Alex Caruso back? It's going to be really important. It's going to be important to get you know Lonzo Ball back. It's going to be important to get Patrick Williams back because they're arguably your three best defenders at their position. And when you're when you're adding that that type of player back, it's almost like Alex Caruso's like three players. Because he can guard anybody on the floor. He in the pick and roll defense, 
he's going to get over screens. He's not going to allow his guard to get downhill on him like we've been seeing the last few weeks. Um, he's going to pick up full court. He's going to get his hands active. He's going to get steals. Lonzo Ball does the same thing. And and where you miss Lonzo Ball, and I, I think people, you know, undervalue him, you know, because you hear about Caruso, oh, Caruso's defense. Lonzo Ball does so many things as a 6'6". And he's 6'6". Six, six. He's 6'6 six, six yeah. point guard, okay? The long rebounds. Zoe was getting those. Zoe was your second leading rebounder on a team mm-hmm. before he went out. This is your point guard behind Vucevic. So that tells you how much he means to this team. His passing, you know, getting the ball up the floor in minimal dribbles. You know, one one dribble, pow, it's up to court, fast break. The Bulls' fast break sometimes is non-existent without him. Um, also, his ability to switch and guard bigger players, like a guard of Giannis and not require a double team. He's able to play good position defense and being able to defend a guy like that without the Bulls having to send two guys, three guys, which forces rotation guys to come out of rotations and get lost trying to find where the where the ball is going. So he adds a lot to it. So when you get those guys back, you know, people say, well, what, you know, oh, you know, how much better the Bulls are going to be? Well, you, it's almost like getting somebody in a trade deadline. You're getting three, like I consider defensive, you know, second, third team, first team, however you want to put them on whatever. They, they're on a defense, all defensive team. You're getting three of those guys mm-hmm. back, and that's only going to help you. So help is on the way, Bulls fans. And speaking of help, if you need some legal help, contact our guy Howard Ankin. Chances are if you live anywhere in Chicagoland, you've seen Howard on a bus, train, billboard, or TV Closet. commercial with a famous <laughs> Chicago athlete. Howard is everywhere. So if you've been injured at work, in a car, truck, or rideshare accident, make sure to call Howard. He's a third-generation attorney from Chicago. His number is an easy one to remember, 312-6 million. That's our guy, Howard Ankin, 312-6 million for all your personal injury legal needs. Give him a call. You know, who needs some help is the Los Angeles Lakers. I, I almost, you know, LeBron has accomplished so much in his career arguably one of the top three players in the history of the game. And he's done so much for the league and the teams he's played on. But he scored 56 points in that game, uh, nationally televised game last weekend, and they and led them to a win. And then he came up with a bad knee, and he's seeing this thing all fall apart around him. And Stacy, you said the Hall of Famer, James Worthy, who works on their broadcast, really let the Lakers have it. Yeah, Kareem has let him have it this year. Magic has, has said some things. But James Worthy uh, doesn't mince his words. He said it was the – it was we're seeing the lowest point in Laker basketball history. That's what he said last night. Now, I don't believe all that, you know. Yeah, they um, lost to Houston for yeah, people who don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they got beat by Houston. They went to overtime yeah. last night and got beat. Here's the problem with the Lakers. Okay, number one, um, the pieces don't match. Right. Okay, um, they needed to. The Lakers, LeBron James would probably be fired right now if he was a general manager because yeah, he put true. this team. He put that's this team true. together. They would fire him right now because the team. They first of all, they're underachieving. You know, yeah, they've had injuries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he put this team together. You got all these guys there. He'd be fired right now. Okay, <laughs> he would not have made it to the end of the season. But you can't fire the player. So you got to play with what you know your hand you're dealt. The problem with them is is that they've got too many pieces that don't fit. And what they should have done, Rob Palenka, who's the general manager, you know, should take control of the team. LeBron, we love you. Just play the game. You know, just like Jerry would tell Michael, you're a great player. 
you play basketball, let, let management put the team together and put the pieces together, and then we'll marry the pieces together. Otherwise, you'd have like eight guys from North exactly. Carolina. Right? Every team, there'd have been a whole North Carolina team. He'd have, he'd have, got, he'd have got a Bobby Jones, he'd have got a Billy Cunningham, all yeah. the old guys, a Walter Davis, yeah. you know, J.R. Reed. He'd have got all those guys. They never would have won, okay? So, um, and I think that's what needs to be with LeBron James. It's like, hey, look, you know, you just play. We, we'll get the pieces around you. And what they should have done to that team is built that team very similar to how Milwaukee built around Giannis. Giannis has nothing but shooters and playmakers around him. So, therefore, when you want to, like, when Giannis, say, five years ago, when Giannis was just reaching his, his superpowers, per se, you know, Giannis couldn't do anything but go to the basket and dunk. And teams packed it in. They didn't have shooters then. They didn't have guys that can make shots. And so what they've done now, they went out and they go get Drew Holiday because Eric Bledsoe couldn't shoot. Right. So it's like you pack off him, and that's what they did. They packed up the lane. And, and the Bulls, when we played them in that series, when they had Michael Carter-Williams, who couldn't shoot, mm-hmm. they had a bunch of guys out there that couldn't shoot surrounded you know, with Giannis, and he got frustrated and got ejected for hitting Dunleavy. Mm-hmm. And that was just a frustration of the series. But they, they had people around him in that series that couldn't shoot. So they learned from that. They said, hey, look, you know what? we got to go get some people. You know, you get Pat, Pat Connaughton, you know, DiVincenzo in the draft, uh, go out and get Holiday for Blake. Bledsoe, Holiday can shoot the ball. Middleton wasn't the Chris Middleton that we see now. Chris Middleton was just coming along as about the same as Giannis. They both were were growing together, and and he wasn't a good shooter at that time. He was they weren't running plays through him. You know, he could he could he score? Yeah, but he's not like he is now. So now they've surrounded Giannis with all these these really really good playmakers and shooter you got Bobby Portis who can stretch the floor at the power forward spot even Brooke Lopez Brooke Lopez as a, as a center can shoot threes so now you got shooters around him so when he gets the ball off the glass and drives it or has the ball in his hands in a half court situation Giannis now can most likely he's gonna get to the basket anyways like Inspector Gadget it's like two steps he's already at the <laughs> rim but when he doesn't get to the rim in the playoffs that was the difference I thought last year with them winning the championship once he came back from that knee injury that he was able to make plays off the bounce and guys were making shots and, and making teams pay for packing it in. That's what the Lakers should have did. They should have put guys – they had the guys around them. You know, uh, uh, Codwell Pope, you know, Kuzma, guys that could actually shoot the ball, but they weren't sexy to LeBron. He wanted his friends. He wanted all his buddies on it, and, and look what has happened. And the ugly side of it, Russell Westbrook, uh, his wife, first of all, went to the media talking about – the poor treatment the family's been receiving, death threats. I mean, just because a guy can't make a jump shot, you don't start going that personal on these things. And it's it's really the ugly side of the whole fan experience. Well, I mean, there's 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 some knucklehead fans out there. Let's, let's just be honest. In every sport, baseball, football, you know, talk radio, you listen to these guys on talk radio. You, know, you got guys like Skip Bayless who constantly bash LeBron, LeBrick, uh, you know, West Brick. You know, and people, you know, he has hundreds of thousands of people listening to him every day. And so when you're sitting there spewing negativity about these guys, then, I mean, the fans are going to pick up on it. They pick up on the nickname West Brick, okay? At the end of the day, you know, Russell Westbrook Russell Westbrook is an MVP guy, okay? He, he didn't just forget how to play basketball. And I blame the coaches, to be honest with you. Seriously, I, blame, I don't blame Westbrook on his play. Westbrook is playing the same way he's been playing his whole career, okay? The difference is you're asking Russell Westbrook to stand in the corner, shoot three-pointers. He's not a shooter. He's not that kind of player. So 
you're taking him out of his element and putting him in a situation where he will not succeed. And what you're seeing him do in L.A. is what you could expect. He is not a guy that's going to stand around. He has to have the ball in his hands. He has to be the playmaker. He has to be able to be on attack mode. What they should be doing with, with Westbrook is, since you have him, is like, how can we utilize what he does to help us win? Okay, so when LeBron goes out, now is the time you put Westbrook at the point guard spot and let him do Russell things. Right, right. When he's on the floor with LeBron, it's up to the coaches to find ways to, to implement him in the offense. Where I would do it, if I'm a coach, okay, if, if Russell Westbrook gets the rebound, you guys better run. Because I'm, t- I'm giving him the, the green light to push it up the floor and make something happen. If LeBron gets the ball and gets the rebound or someone hits LeBron with the pass, I'm getting Russell Westbrook in half-court game. I'm running pick and roll between him and LeBron and get switches, okay? I'm having him cut to the basket from the weak side to strong side. Someone's setting a cross screen from where he's constantly on the move. You can throw lobs to him. You watch them play, and he's just sitting in the corner like he's Reggie Miller. Yeah. And that's not his game. It's not, <laughs> that's and he, not going to work. No. And then he gets frustrated because he's not making shots. Yeah. And then all of a sudden now his mind, just like anybody else, is on not making a shot and not focused on the defensive end. Because this guy averaged a triple-double three, four years in a row. Okay, so the guy knows how to play. But you got to put him in situations for him to succeed. And that's where coaches fail, I think, in the NBA. Yeah, the interesting thing as we head into the final three or four weeks of the season is the two teams that were the Las Vegas favorites at the start of the year, the Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets, probably will both be in the play-in. Brooklyn is going to advance, but the Lakers will probably be out really quickly. Hey, want to talk about our guy Jeff Vukovic. When it comes to insurance for your auto, home, and business, make sure you contact the king of insurance, nationwide agent Jeff Vukovic at jeffvuk.com. He's a great supporter of all Chicago sports teams. Yes, he is. You've seen him on the NBC Sports Chicago broadcast for years and years. That's jeffvuk.com. Stacy, how are the Golden Pipes doing on a Thursday afternoon? Nationwide is on your side. <laughs> all right. And Stacy King is too. Woo! <laughs> Coming up next, a very special guest here on Give Me the Hot Sauce, the Hall of Famer, Dominique Wilkins, next. Boy, have we got a special treat for you on this week's edition of Give Me the Hot Sauce. It is the Hall of Famer, Dominique Wilkins, joining us on the show. Neek, thank you so much for coming on. And tell us about the whole uh, All-Star Weekend experience in Cleveland, the top 75 players of all time that, of course, you are among the all-time greatest to ever play the game. Yeah. It was, if I can describe this, um, it was a surreal, breathtaking moment. It really was, you know, I mean, we, we, when you play this game and, you know, states will tell you, you know, you know that, you know, you've earned the right to belong and be here. But when you anointed as one of the greatest to ever play, man, I, I can't even tell you how that makes you feel. I mean, it, it's unreal. You know, it's a very emotional moment. You know, Charles Barkley asked me on a, another podcast. He said, the first time I ever been emotional, he said, did you ever get any, did you get emotional that day we were taking the pictures. He said, I told him, I said, look, man, I'm still emotional. I, you know, it's just hard for me to put in words how it really feels. So it, it was amazing. 
What you know when you when you look at all your peers, the guys that you played with, and even the guys that came before you, you know that had mm-hmm. to be that had to be a remarkable experience to to just you know to see all those guys in one place. Because I know you know it's hard to to keep you know keep in contact with everybody because everybody's doing their own thing. But it had to be really cool for yourself to be there and seeing all those those former yeah. players and even the players before you. Yeah, I mean it was it was really great because it's guys that you grew up emulating. And guys that you've uh, had relationships with over the years that you don't get a chance to see a lot of the older guys anymore. So when you, everybody's together like that, it's almost like you've never been apart. You know, it's just like, you know, you saw each other yesterday. I mean, that's the conversations that we were having with one another. And, you know, I had conversations with guys I never talked to that much, like you know, LeBron and Carmelo and people like that, where we had really extensive conversations, man, how great this was. And, you know, you look at all these guys in a different light and you hold them in a different regard because of what they represented. I mean, to be known as the best to ever do it. I mean, I don't know uh, what other emotion or feeling that you could have as an athlete to give you that type of high. And of course it was uh, Michael Jordan flying in from Daytona to be the last person introduced, just like MJ to steal the glory from everybody else. right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, Stacy could tell you about the better than I can. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. <laughs> hey, that's Mike, man. That's Mike. So when you when you look back, you know, you look back on your career and an amazing career and some of the players that you had a chance to play with, you know, you you were fortunate to play against some great players in an era where I I thought was the golden age of basketball, you know, Magic, Larry, you know, all those great teams, Dr. J, you know, coming. Mm-hmm. When you were a young player coming up, you know, who was the player you, you idolized the most in the NBA? Because we all idolized somebody. It was always like yeah. Dr. J for right. me. But who was it for you growing up? Well, you know what, first of all, before I even ask the question, we, the first thing you said about the talent level in the league, it was some monsters in the league when I yeah. first came in. I mean, my first eight games was against eight Hall of Famers, you wow. know, as a rookie. And I'm like, man, if it's going to be like this, I don't know if I'm going to make it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know but, 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 you know, once you get over that awe of playing against those guys, and now you get to the point you say, you know what, I'm going to make them worry about me. And that's the way it was. But, man, it was no nights off. You didn't take nights off. And there was no nights off, man, every single night. And the guy that I grew up wanting to be like, and most kids at that time, was Dr. J. You know, I emulated everything he ever done, you know. And uh, just to have a guy like that as, you know, doing your career kind of a mentor in an indirect kind of way, man, was, was a great feeling for me. And though, and I had the chance to learn from a lot of great, great players, particularly at the small four position. You know, you got Adrian Dantley, English, Worthy, Nance, Mark Aguirre, Mickey Johnson. I mean, you can go down to Marcus. I mean, it was so many guys at that three, and they were big. It wasn't no small guys at the three. So you had to be prepared and had to be ready to play from day one in that era. Hey, Dominique, I know that uh, recently, last couple of years, they were doing the uh, anniversary of the famous dunk contest at Chicago Stadium. What was that like for you to have to relive that again? Did you feel like you were robbed all over again? Well, you know, I look at it like this, man. No matter who won, the fans got their money's worth. The fact they're still talking about it 35 years (laughs) later, they're still talking about it, let you know the greatest dunk 
dunk contest other what other dunk contest that they talk about this much yeah. and bring it up year after year day after day i hear it every day at least once a day about <laughs> that dunk contest to this very day yeah. When, when you when you were in that dunk contest, now we everybody knows what kind of spectacular dunker you were. Especially, I th- I consider you one of the best in game dunkers of all time. You know, along with Vince Carter, I think you two mm-hmm. are the were the best in my opinion in game dunkers. You know, what was going through your head? You know, as the contest as that dunk contest kept going on, and you know you're in Michael Jordan's backyard. You know, what was your thinking of how am I going to beat this guy? What were you? What were some of the things going through your mind as far as your creativity? Right. Well, one of the things I said, you can't miss a single dunk. You cannot miss. And the second thing was that every dunk that I tried, I wanted to be better than the previous dunk. That's to keep the pressure on. Mm-hmm. And I thought I did that throughout the <laughs> whole contest. And I did. And it got down to the last dunk, which was Michael um, free throw dunk, which, by the way, he missed one. Yes. And they said, hey, they said, hold up, wait, wait, you got one more. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... Okay. But again, if you look at the dunk contest that we were in, and that particular dunk contest, it was about being as spectacular as you possibly can and not to miss. You couldn't miss dunks back then. And so that was my mindset going in, that I had to keep the pressure on. During your career with the Atlanta Hawks, you had the misfortune of probably being in in the loaded, the strongest Eastern Conference of all time with Boston and Philadelphia and Milwaukee was really good back then. Your battles, Cleveland, yeah, Detroit, New York, with Larry in Bird Indiana. in the playoffs were legendary. Uh, people still yeah. talk about that. You know, the, the game seven against Larry Bird. What what are your recollections of that? Oh, that game was was pretty amazing. You know, we should have beat the Celtics in six. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had them. And uh, they ended up beating us at home, I think about two or three points or something like that. I can't remember. But it was a very close game. And I remember Bird said after that game, he said, Atlanta blew their opportunity. I'm guaranteeing a win in Boston. Wow. And so I had to I had to see those headlines. I remember going into that seventh game. And I remember coming out of the locker room. And I stopped. And I said to my team, I said, we're going to win this bleak, bleak game. If you ain't ready to fight, you ain't ready to war. Don't go to war. Don't come out. I said, whoever guard me tonight going to have a long night. Unfortunately, Larry was telling his teammates the same thing down the other end. (laughs) So it just set up for that great shootout. But what really got Bird hot, I never forget this. So towards the end of the third quarter, and we were running down the court, me, Bird, Kevin Willis kind of side by side. And then Kevin Willis reached over me and pointed at Larry. He said, don't let this so-and-so score anymore tonight. And I looked at Kevin, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, don't awake a sleeping giant. Because he only had 13 points going into that fourth quarter. And I could see his eyes get huge. And they took me out of the game toward the end of the quarter. He got high. And I remember Coach said, Nick, go in there and, and, and stop him. Slow him down. I'm like, what? It's too late. <laughs> He's already hot. I said, only thing I can do is match him bucket for bucket. And that's what ended up happening. And it came down to the last shot. Wow. You know, and and people, you know, in this generation, we live in a generation of what have you done for me lately? And people don't know. And then when they talk about Larry Bird, you know, all of us who saw him play and, and had the privilege of play against him, you know, we know how good he was. 
We know what kind of <laughs> yeah. player he was. And people's all oh, he would get killed in this era. Man, I be <laughs> you know telling people, when please. Hey, Stacy, when people say that, man, I just shake my head. I'm like, are you crazy? I mean, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I said, do you really know how good he was? I said, it wasn't about being athletic. It wasn't about being a high flyer. It was all about being a great, great basketball player. That's who Larry Bird was. And I had a guy ask me, you think he could get more than 15 points a game in <laughs> this era? I said, um, which quarter? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, are you? I'm like, I, I, it just blows my mind. And the thing is, is that a lot of people think the league started 10 years ago. Yes. Go back in time and look at the, and you know, Larry Bird is one of a few, I mean, of many, I should say, that people that shook their head when they played, like, how could he do some of the things that he did? You know, I, I, it just blows my mind. Larry Bird had multiple things he did as a player that made him great. He just didn't shoot the ball. He just didn't pass. He didn't. The guy was a unstoppable scorer. You know, Stace, you play. Yeah. I mean, you know how great he was. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here. I mean, it just, it just blows my mind the, the lack of knowledge people don't have when it comes to really articulating the game on that level. It's funny you say that because I, I even say, I mean, even yourself and, you know, everybody always talks about MJ could play in this era. I, I, I Man, there's everybody in that era could play in this era now. Could play in this era. Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm the 12th like, man, can, picking, the 12th you, man would be a star pick, in this era. Yeah, you, you, you're talking about picking and choose certain guys in the era. Again, who's going to guard guys like Hakeem Olajuwon, like Patrick Ewing? Like Moses Malone, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's gonna guard those guys? Yeah, yeah. Who? Yeah, because they're gonna punish you in the paint, in that mid-range area, off the. And and that's what when you when you look at the game of basketball, you got to study all facets of the game to really be able to articulate. I had a guy argue me down that, and I'm not gonna say a name. He said this guy should have been one of the 50 greatest. Uh, and I don't understand why he was left off the list. The guy never been all star. The guy not all famer. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? But I can't argue with people like that, man. So I like, oh, you know what? You're right. And I just leave it alone because when you don't know, you don't know. Exactly. Now, we had this conversation uh, a couple of years ago about analytics. Analytics, and we we both. There's a place for the game, but we also we don't believe in it to a certain extent. And, you know, no. we had this conversation where, you know, someone had told him he would have a hard time. Dominique Wilkins would have a hard time scoring in this era <laughs> because he didn't That's shoot crazy. threes. Because he didn't shoot three yeah. balls. And and he just laughed at him. Tell him the story. Tell him the story, Nick. First of all, I could shoot the three. I did shoot the three when I needed to. Yeah. I could score anywhere on the floor. It didn't matter if it was a three or a two. I was, see, this is the thing I told you. I said, I was about putting pressure on your defense. I said, if I can take another great player that I'm playing against, and I get two fouls on him early, now I create an advantage for myself. So he don't play me as hard. So I can get whatever I want from him. I can play him like a fuck. And so I'm still going to get that 30 or 40. I had 57 in one game with not a single three. So, you know, what are you talking about? And then I didn't, I couldn't make three. I, I made a, I made 500 threes, but it was later in my career because I didn't put much emphasis like they do today. These analytical guys, they, they don't know what the hell they're talking about, first of all, when they talk about the three ball, what somebody would have did in this era, opposed to that era. I said, 
I average over 12 or 13 free throws a night. That's because I put pressure on your defense. And so when I hear these things, I, I just laugh because you can't change people's minds once they got it stuck in their head. Yeah. They believe that's the only way it is. Nick, you suffered a, a serious injury later in your career, but you were able to come back strong afterwards. When you look at so many of the modern athletes that are suffering these serious knee injuries, we think about Derrick Rose here in Chicago, and now Zion yeah. Williamson, who's having his issues, and Joel Embiid missed a couple of years in the league. What do you think it is about the training athletes do now, or do you think it's just, just a natural evolution of the human body that's led to more serious injuries? Well, I think that you have to do more basketball training that apply metrics and mm -hmm. working out in the gym. And that's what, and you know, Stacey tell you how we got stronger, how we got in court shape. We played the game. It's nothing going to make you get in better shape, like playing the game, playing the game, playing the game. That's what, and we were in court shape and our bodies was conditioned to take a lot of the physical contact. We played in that hand check area where you can use not just your hand, you can use your elbow to slow people up by putting in their chest and stuff like that. But we trained for that. And that's playing the game. There's no other, workouts you can do other to prepare yourself for that other than playing now you can lift weights to work on strength and that kind of stuff and we did that too but man we played basketball year round what would you tell zion if you could talk to him about how to go forward in his career well wow man you know every, every individual is different but the thing is is that you know come in this league and you know guys who play this know this is that you got to come in at the beginning of the year really prepared, ready to play. Yeah, your body has to be prepared. Because, you know, I played basketball before training camp, two or three months before training camp started, just to get myself in court shape. And I think this needs to be more of that. And I think that would definitely cut down a lot of the injury, type of injuries that guys get. Let's talk a little bit about these these Hawks. They, you know, last year, you know, they started off really super slow. You get a coaching change in the middle of the season. You got Nate McMillan come in. They were one of the hottest teams in the second half of the season and and was really a feel-good story. I mean, to get all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals and have a couple of, of mm -hmm. upsets, I think everybody thought, like, maybe they were a couple of years early, but what they saw with all this young talent, that maybe they're there early and, and this is going to be a team of the future. And then they've gotten off to a slow start this year. You know, and, and so what's going on with, with this young, young Atlanta Hawks team? Well, I, I think it's this. You know, we, we started out, um, things was moving pretty good, but we had a lot of early injuries. And so all these injuries, you had one guy get injured and another guy, then we had three or four guys out and then COVID hit. And so, you know, it, it, it really screwed with your, your chemistry on your team. And so we could never keep anybody hurt healthy the first half of the season now we started to get everybody back now we're trying to build that chemistry back so now you know you know you put yourself in a tough spot and it's not intentionally it's just you know the way life is sometimes but still have room to do something pretty special and that's get into the playoffs and that's the only thing that matters even though we've had a rough go at it of late but still some good things can happen so they're starting to pick it up and we're starting to play better how how important is John Collins uh, to to this team? Because I, I feel like he's a big part uh, to what you guys do. I mean, because he's I, I think sometimes he's underappreciated when you from the outside looking in. You know, when you hear his name in trade rumors, you're like, what? Well, why would he even think about trading that guy? Well, I mean, personally, I love John. You know, his personality and the way he plays plays hard, and he's definitely a big part of our team. And so, you know, when he's out on the floor, that's a that's a big boy. That's that's not out there. So, you know, because, again, you talk about the chemistry. So 
Trey having Capella and John two outlets when guys are pressing him where he can throw it by the rim or throw it in the paint and guys can can get you two points. You know, we haven't had that consistently all year so far, but, uh, you know, John is definitely a guy we definitely need back. Hey, Nick, looking ahead to the uh, Eastern Conference playoffs, it's going to be a battle. I mean, you look at it right now, both the Hawks and the Brooklyn Nets would be in the play-in tournament. When you look at the conference, when they get into the playoff mode, who would you uh, say would be the, t- the team to beat in the Eastern Conference? Oh, man, the Eastern Conference, you know, Milwaukee, you got to – they're the first team because, you know, until somebody throwing them, they're still champs. So they'll be, you know, toughest team to beat because they're battle-tested team, and it's been there. But, you know, you have – you guys, Chicago is right there. Miami Heat is going to be a tough team to beat. Again, a team that's been there. Uh, they haven't didn't win it last couple of years, but they've been there, so they know what it takes to, to win. And now you got teams who are slowly coming along, like the Cleveland Cavaliers and teams like that, that you're going to have to contend with. And so, and if you, if Brooklyn can ever get their stuff together where, you know, Kyrie can play home games and that sort of thing, they, they're going to be, it's going to, they're going to be an issue with that team. That team would be pretty good. And then you got Philadelphia has started to figure it out now. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia is playing good basketball. Yeah. Yeah, they have. And they just, I think they're getting ready to sign DeAndre Jordan to uh, strengthen up their bench, which is going to help mm-hmm. them later on in the playoffs. When you look at, look at the way teams play defense and we, we talk about this all the time um, and look at all the way these teams play defense and all these high scoring games, you know, what, what, what is the thing that you see that you would like to see better? You know, if you, from an outsider, you know, former, you know, you're a Hall of Famer, you're an analyst now, you know, what is the things that you would like to see differently, not only from your team, but, you know, defensively from other teams? Well, one thing I like to see is more fast break with guys, you know, letting guys run that fast break more instead of, you know, quick fouls. And everybody in the league does that, you know, it's just the way it is now. But, you know, to, I think, it, first of all, it keeps basketball fun and keeps the game moving. But secondly, from a defensive standpoint, uh, which I would really have been surprised that, you know, a lot of teams don't trap the pick and roll, you know. And um, it's, it's great for a guy who's a great scorer because now he's going to pick you apart like a Trey Young, like a Damian Lillard. You know, you got guys who, who understand like Chris Paul who comes off that screen. And if you ain't helping, you know, you, you're, you're at their mercy. And so – uh, I think all of our team defense has to has to get better, you know, across the board, you know, through the league. So, um, because when you make a big one, you have a big lead. Because big leads mean nothing now. Yeah. You know, that you can cut into these big leagues in three minutes, and next thing you know, you got this thing in single digits. You know? So, yeah. um, but, but the teams that's, that's going to win are the teams who are going to play the defense. And this year, this past year, it's been Milwaukee. You know, using those big bodies and they just weigh you down and wear you down, you know. So, you know, and you got to contend trying to keep those big guys out of the paint or off the glass. Dominique, how much do you enjoy your work as an analyst for the Hawks? I know I know our guy Stacy has, has reached incredible popularity with uh, with his work with the Bulls. Has that been uh, keeping you close to the game? Has that been gratifying for you? Oh, it's great. It's great. I love it. You know, this will be a part of basketball continue to be a part of basketball and for me to look at basketball from a different aspect i mean it's been fun it's been great and just being uh still being there with the organization as long as i've been there and what i've helped build is it's just special 
and the states can tell you that whenever you can get a chance to to spend your time and live in an environment that you um it was a part of or help create, man, it's a wonderful thing. When you when you look at the the players that are, are playing this game now, and, and, you know, we see a lot of it every night. We see a lot of spectacular plays. you got some spectacular players on your team. Well, I have it on Chicago. But if you were a fan, wh- which guy would you pay to see that you would actually buy What's a ticket to see? Oh, a lot of guys, man. And a lot of guys, that they, you know, of course you got LeBron, KD, and people like that, and you know, definitely our young guy, Trey Young, and, you know, Levine and and, and, uh, and uh, DeRozan. And let me just say something about DeRozan. He has defied and really discredited everything these analytical guys. I say it all the time. <laughs> They're punching air right He's now, man. all of them. He discredited all of them. I'd pay to see him any day. Any day. You know, and you got a lot of guys. I'm just naming a few off the top of my head. There's a lot of guys in this league that I enjoy watching. Luka Doncic is another guy. I love to watch, you know, of course, everybody would play to see LeBron, you know, guys and Carmelo, people like that. Um, so it's a lot of guys. I still love the game of basketball on every level. So what what we've done uh, is kind of, you know, become the standard bearers of what guys are doing today. And uh, I'm just proud of what these guys have been able to accomplish in their, in their own lives, in their own environment. So, hey, more power to them. I tell you what, Nick. I mean, we we go back to we had some we had some classic battles, you know, during during our time in the league. And you know, one thing we always said about Atlanta that I don't think you guys ever get credit for because there were so many great teams in the Eastern Conference, mm-hmm. but Atlanta had a hell of a team. Oh they, yeah, they yeah. they yeah. they were athletic. They were big. I mean, you had point guard Doc Rivers was big. Kevin Willis, Nick, you know, Cliff Levingston, Snoop Graham. I mean, they yeah. had a re- John Conkac, even though he got that big contract and he was the yeah, 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 everybody yeah. wanted to go ahead with that. <laughs> but they all you guys had a great team and it was just like it was just the conference was just so deep of, of talented teams that you guys you know, Timing, just, man. Yeah, it was just it was just unbelievable that you guys couldn't, you know, as good as they were, because Cleveland was good, you know, Detroit, the Bulls, you know, New Boston, York, New right? York. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was a dog fight every night. Yeah, yeah. Again, you had no nights off. When I got Larry Bird one night, Dr. J the next night, I got Mark Aguirre one night. <laughs> you know, you just go down the down the line, the guys that I had to guard, Larry Nance one night. Then I got uh, Marcus Johnson. Him walking. I got Chuck Person, Dwayne and Tisdale in Indiana. I mean, so you had to come with your A game every single night. Because them guys weren't just sitting out to shoot threes. They were punishing you down around the basket. How was and your how was, how was your battles? So how was your battles with Scottie Pippen? <laughs> you are. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you already know. Uh, and it probably was because of Mike. Uh, and you know, I said, okay, if he kicks Randy Whitman's butt, I'm going at you. <laughs> so it was those sort of things, man. But we had some classic battles. You know, Scotty. I have a lot of respect for Scotty. Scotty was a hell of a player. But somebody had to pay for it. <laughs> MJ is kicking it out. But somebody got to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, boy, I remember those. there were some good old battles, boy. I tell you, man. Yeah. yeah, they, yeah. You, I tell you, man, that, that Atlanta team, I remember we the night we played y'all in the ring ceremony, and we were getting our rings that night. And y'all put a beating on us that night in Chicago. Uh, uh, we were getting our ring ceremony. And, uh, man, I, I, we ain't never got beat like that. That was <laughs> – you know, we, we got it. We got it. That was that was that was inspiration. That was that. You know, we like 
you know, yeah, you know, okay. They get in the ring like, <laughs> let's spoil their party. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking, we'd never gotten beat like that. That was like, that was like, you know, they put a beating on it. I mean, one time we, I think we were down almost like 40 to them. And yeah. we was like, we had wow. Awesome game that night. Yeah, you did. You did. I remember that game. Yeah. Oh, we all remember it. You know, we always want to look at, <laughs> we, we look at it as like it was a hangover because, oh, we got our rings and the celebration. Man. Nah, y'all, y'all flat out. Put that, you know, that can of whoop ass on us because I know because I know Mike took it personal. The next yep. time we we fought, the next time we met, it was a dog fight. <laughs> oh, I don't know if you remember we, when we played you in Atlanta and MJ sprained his ankle and he went into the locker room. Remember he that went game? in the playoffs? Yeah, the playoffs. yeah. And, he, and I'm saying he, he goes in the locker room. And I said, "Oh, he done." I said, "We gonna kick their ass tonight." <laughs> Mike out. And lo and behold, at halftime. He comes walking out of the locker room. Yep. And, and I'm like, what? Yes. Damn. We all, we all <laughs> thought he was done. And, and the crazy thing yeah. about that was when he came back out, you know, they got, what is y'all, the Harry the Hawk? The Harry Hawk was going to come yeah. out to the Superman theme. And he was going to come out the tunnel with the smoke and everything. And then so, so everybody's expecting Harry the Hawk come out with the Superman theme. And so all of a sudden, here comes MJ with the sprained ankle. <laughs> we all thought he was done. And he comes out, and it wasn't Harry the Hawk. It was MJ. And then he went on a tear, and we ended up winning. It was, it was, oh, it was crazy. 34, 35, something like that, man. I'm like, you know, and, and that in that series, I averaged 30 points a game in that series. But it wasn't enough. <laughs> Yeah, but, hey, yeah, those some hey, classic hey, battles, man. Classic. That was. Uh, yeah. I tell you, he's he's one of the greatest players of all time. No question about it. The human highlight film. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Hey, we know you got a game to call, so we're going to let you go. Thank you so much for being a part of uh, Give Me the Hot Sauce, no and uh, Stacy will send some of his signature sauce yes. your way. I'm getting some hot sauce, boy. Yeah. And say, hey, send it down, boy. You know I love some hot sauce. <laughs> oh, you gonna love this one? <laughs> Woo, we gonna get it. <laughs> The Hall of Famer, Dominique Wilkins, our special guest this week on Give Me the Hot Sauce. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nick. All right, guys. Appreciate it, brother. See you soon. All right, bro. Really great to talk to Dominique Wilkins. So many great stories that he played against all the – that era, Stacey, was just unbelievable how many strong teams there were back in his day. I mean, the Eastern Conference was, I mean, there was no nights off. You heard him yeah. talk about that, no, having no nights off. And, um, you know, every single night you're, you're going to get the best team, especially for the Bulls. Like, every time we, we stepped on the floor against a team, it was like their playoff game. Like, I remember when New Jersey Nets weren't very good, but they had Drazen Petrovic, had a young Derek Coleman, my teammate Mookie Blaylock. And um, I remember every time we played them, man, they took us to the wire every single time. And, Petrovic, whew, when they when they talk about the best European players, people forget how good oh, yeah. he was. Yeah. You know, they they tend to, I mean, you hear, oh, uh, you know, Dirk or, you know, Pal Gasol, not taking anything away from, you know, Luca and all these guys. Uh, not taking anything away from those guys because they're all great in their own right. But, man, had, had Drazen Petrovic been able to finish out where he was going, he might have gone down as the greatest European player of all time. I really enjoyed Dominique talking about his battles with Larry Bird and, and – for folks who didn't catch your story about Larry Bird trash talking you, oh. you want to tell that one again? That, oh, that's a America, really good story. America! You know I, mean? <laughs> I tell you, it's, it's one, of the, it's one of the, it's one of the classic stories because, like, 
you know, when you're a young kid and you watch Larry Bird on TV going against Magic yeah. and the 76ers, because when I was back home, when I was a kid growing up, you only got a few games on TV. Mm-hmm. You got Boston and Philly. Those were the two rivalries right there. Maybe the Knicks here and there. Uh, Washington Bullets, who are now the Wizards. And the and Lakers. Then, and then the Lakers yeah. and then the Supersonics yeah. and the Suns. Those were the only teams you ever saw on TV. And so I, I just watched Larry Bird. And I was like, man, this dude is really awesome. Dr. J. So when I got a chance to play Larry Bird um, in my rookie year, and um, it's a funny story because we're playing in Boston Garden. And so in the shoot-around, Phil you know, had a, a game plan to stop because they ran a play where they're interchangeable parts between him and Kevin McHale. So there'd be a down screen, and then Larry would pop out, or you know, Kevin McHale would pop out short post. So the, so the game plan was to switch that. Yeah. So Phil said, "All right, if they run this play, <laughs> if they run this play, we're switching it. I don't care who's out, who's going, to, who's setting the down screen. You're switching to denial. Don't let them catch it." Okay, so I'm like, all right, cool. So you got it, rookie. Oh, got it, got it, coach. Got it. I'm be ready. So here's my chance, you know. And so we're playing. It was a tight game. You know, it was like it was nip and tuck all the way. So they run the play. And I hear Phil, they're running a down screen. Remember we talked about switching, switching, switching. He's yelling. (laughs) I'm like, well, well, way to tell Larry Bird and Kevin McHale what we're doing. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you didn't need to say it. We already knew it. But he's yelling this, so they already know what we're going to (laughs) do. So Kevin McHale goes down, sets his screen. And Horace is, is guarding Larry is is guarding uh, Mikhail, and then Bird comes up, and I switch out on Larry Bird. So Larry Bird catches the ball, literally at the hash mark, about maybe three feet past the three point line. So I denied the ball. He catches it, and he's facing up. And so all I keep hearing is Field talking, "Get up <laughs> on him! Get up on him!" So I'm like, man. Sh- Phil, he's almost 10 feet behind the three-point line. Chill out. Like, I got him. I got him. I'm doing this. I got him. And so I'm squaring him up, and there's no way in the world Larry Bird's going to beat me off the dribble. You know, I'm I'm 22 years old, and he had a bad back. So I could gamble a little bit. So I backed off the step to my heels were actually on the three-point line. That's how how far I was off him from the hash mark. And so he's talking. You got to remember this was this dude was talking during the whole play. Always, yeah. He the, even before the switch, I can't believe y'all are switching this. I can't. <laughs> he's talking the whole time. I'm like, dude, this dude just keeps talking. So he catches the ball and feels like, get up on him. He'll shoot that. Get up. I'm like, man, this dude ain't gonna shoot this. The good 25, the almost yeah. 28 feet away. So I'm I'm on him defensively, and so he's talking to me. Then you hear you hear the clock going down. You know, ten, nine, and he held the ball. It seemed like for two weeks he was in the same spot. So he goes, "You gonna give me this shot?" And I go, "Man, take that shit. You ain't gonna take that shot. Take it." He goes, "You know, if I hit this shot, you're coming out the game." <laughs> and now this is a conversation going on during the game, right? And and feels like get up on him, stop talking, get up on him. And I'm turning, I'm doing this like this, you know. And he goes, "You know, if I hit this shot, you're coming out the game." I was like, "Take this shot. I dare you. Take it. Take it, Larry. You're a bad muff. Take it." <laughs> so it was got down to five seconds. Five. Four, and he just he, he squares up, he jabs at me. I know he ain't gonna go by me, yeah. So I'm just like I'm like this with a hand up on him, like I dare you to shoot it. So he shoots it, he jumps up, and shoot. It. I contest the shot. I'm nowhere close to blocking the shot, <laughs> nowhere close because I was about five feet off of yeah. it. And you hear you hear the guy go Larry Bird for three, <laughs> and the crowd went bananas because they took the lead on that shot, yeah, yeah. and it was so loud in there. But for some reason, I can still hear Phil Jackson. Like 20,000 people in Boston Garden, I can still hear Phil Jackson. I told you to get up on him. What are you doing? And so we're going, we're going down the floor. 
And then it was a stoppage of play. We, we, the ball went out of bounds or something, and the horn goes off. And I'm like, I know. It's like, it's like, it's like the green mile. <laughs> I know I'm getting ready to go. I'm getting ready to get executed. So I'm on the far end. And so Larry's, Larry's like, uh, yeah, I think that's for you. And so here comes Scotty back in the game. I think that's for and, you. And I'm walking out the game, head down like a little puppy. It's my rookie year now. Yeah, yeah. So feel I can feels like Superman. I feel the X-ray vision. I'm not even trying to have eye contact. I'm trying to avoid him. So I'm walking by him. It feels like 6'10". So I'm 6'10". So I'm walking by him, and he hits me in the chest. Boom. What did I tell you? I told you to get up on him. What are you doing? And I'm just like, oh, my God, Phil. He was 28 feet away. Go sit down. <laughs> just go sit down. Like I was a little child. Just go sit down. So then I go to, I'm walking to the bench. Everybody's like, oh, don't worry about it, Rook. Don't worry about it. He doesn't don't worry about it. Man, Larry, Larry's all legend. Don't yeah, worry yeah. about it. That doesn't make me feel better. So I'm sitting on the bench. And then, so they come back down. They come back on the next play. They get a steal or something. They're running their play. Larry's in the corner. And I'm on the bench. And I'm just sitting there just looking at him. He turns around and looks at me. He said, what I tell you? I told you he's going to come out the game. <laughs> and he starts to laugh. And then I go, F you, Larry. F you, Larry. And, and Larry goes, hey, don't worry about it. I knew your boy Pip like that all the time. <laughs> the legend. That, that was that was one of the coldest dudes ever. Like, I, I, people don't know how good Larry Bird was. Yeah. People just see him. Remember at the end. And it was so it was so sad because I came in at the time when they were break, all breaking down. You know, my mm-hmm. first year, it was, it was him, Mikhail, and Bird. And they were just – they were a shell of themselves. Like right. Larry, Larry used to sit on the sideline with heat packs on L- his back, lying down, yeah. lying down, yeah. and and it was so sad to see. But he still could bust your ass, even with a bad back. <laughs> he could still bust your ass. And he was one of the greatest yes. trash talkers yes. of all time. He didn't do it in a demonstrative way, but he no. certainly got his message across. No, I mean he was it was it was subtle trash talk. Like he he, I mean he got he gets you so mad at him that you want to like punch him because he would <laughs> he'd be talking so much trash. And the thing about it though, Mark, he backed it up. Because if he like he, I mean, he would actually tell you what he's gonna do to you before he actually did it, and yeah. he was telling you he'd be talking to you the whole play. You can't guard me. What are you doing out here? You, oh, this is gonna be an easy night. I mean, he'd be saying stuff like that on the yeah. floor. Like you don't even hear guys in the NBA now talk like that. That era, there was tons of trash talkers. Mm-hmm. I mean, Magic would talk trash. Like Magic would be walking a guy down the floor. Hey, hey, I got a child on me. I got a child on me. And he's backing him all the way down the floor. And and you know, and and you know, you have guys like, you know, MJ. MJ, <laughs> I, I the story about MJ. MJ tells, you know, he gets uh he's he's battling uh LeBradford Smith, dude. LeBradford Smith had a huge game on him in Chicago. That's when you play back to back night night in Chicago Stadium, then we fly to Washington, DC. Anyway, LeBradford Smith idolized Michael Jordan. Big big Michael Jordan fan. Dada, has a huge game. Has like 40 points or something in the game. Michael's furious. Michael couldn't stop him. The kid just was just hitting crazy shots. Michael's all on him, draped all on him, fouled him in ones. And the kid hits, you know, the kid hits 40-some points. And Michael's just pissed. So on the plane, we go, we're flying to DC. Michael normally plays cards, doesn't play cards that night. Doesn't talk to anybody. Just goes in his little parlor, closes the curtain. No one's messing with him. Nobody wants because everybody knows he's mad. So we all took that sign as, oh man, LeBradford Smith's gonna get killed tomorrow. Oh my <laughs> God, I I don't want to be LeBradford Smith. So then all of a sudden we go to DC. MJ, you know, doesn't you know comes to shoot around quiet, doesn't say, not joking, not playing, not doing any of his betting things that he normally does. Like I bet I can hit you know this shot from half court. You know, he always yeah. doing it. He didn't want to do that. Then he went over to shoot around early. He never goes early. Michael never goes to shoot around early. Goes over to shoot around early. He's over there before the team gets there. So we're like, oh, man. 
LeBron Smith's getting, he's getting ready to get his soul taken from him. <laughs> it's, it's over. So MJ gets out. The game starts. Boom. MJ's on a tear. It was like MJ 26, Washington 8 or something. It was like <laughs> Michael just single-handedly outscored him. So Phil knew what was going on. Phil knew. Phil, Phil was an agitator, a fire starter. So he knew what was going on, and, and we needed that game. We needed to win that game. So he goes to Michael. He said, hey, listen, you know, you're rolling. You're killing Mike. I think Michael had like 30-something at half. So he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rest you, you know, in the second half. We got to lead, yada, yada. No, you're not. You're not, not. No, no, Phil. I'm not. No, you're not. I'm not taking me out. He said, Mike, we're, we're up. We don't, you, you proved your point. You know, no, 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 no. You're not taking me out the game. He goes, all right, I'll let you play third quarter. But if we, you know, get a big lead, you're coming out. So he said, all right. So MJ goes out in the third quarter, starts his tear again. Like, I think he had like 44, 45 points. Phil's seen enough. We're up big. Phil's seen enough. And he also sees that Michael's destroying his kid because LeBraffer yeah. couldn't hit a shot. If he could have cried, I think LeBraffer would have cried. Like, he literally was destroyed. Like, you could actually see, like, you know those little clock, those little, um, what do you call those little sands of time thing where you turn the thing mm-hmm. over and the sand goes? That's how the life left out of his body. Because <laughs> so, so, so it was a timeout. MJ's coming out the game. So MJ walks by LeBradford Smith, who's sitting there. You know, he's just dejected. You know, his teammates are patting him on the back. Hey, don't worry about it, Rook, because he's a rookie. So MJ tells him, said, hey, look, hey, keep your head up, man. It took you four quarters to get 40. It took me two and a half, really three, really three quarters to get 46. So <laughs> don't feel bad. And then you could just – that kid was never the same after that. He You're right. Destroyed. destroyed. Never, heard, never heard from LeBradford nope, Smith again. never, <laughs> never, never. There's so many – I could write a book about some of these stories, man. The the story about Dominique when we're playing him in the playoffs. And, you know, uh, Michael gets hurt and turns his ankle, has a bad sprain, like second-degree second sprain. We think he's done. He's not coming back. The Atlanta crowd is cheering because he went down. He got hurt. Yeah. And, and, then, and then, like, at halftime, we didn't think he was coming back. So we're like, okay, we got to play without MJ. We got to get ready to get ourselves mentally prepared to go without MJ. So all of a sudden – uh, they had this smoke in the hallway and the Harry, the Hawk, that was their mascot. And he normally comes out in the Superman outfit and they played a Superman thing. Um, that I, I forgot what the Superman theme is, but you know what I'm talking about? The Superman thing. So the smoke's coming out the dry ice and we're waiting for Harry, the Hawk come out, you know, in his little Superman outfit. Cause that's what he does all the time. Well, Harry, the Hawk either got punched by MJ cause MJ was the one who came out the, came out to smoke so he comes out to the superman uh the superman theme and uh it was it was fitting too because he went on with a sprained ankle and like scored like 40 i think in that game and then that yeah i was actually down there covering that series and i thought oh, we'll get another night in atlanta because the yeah. Bulls are going to lose this game and yeah. michael just said no forget forget the sprained ankle everybody's yeah. Yeah, he went back to the locker room thinking oh, he ain't playing again no. but he came back and just he just heard went. that music and got up the <laughs> dude i'm oh, telling they're, you they're i'm telling me. you i don't know mark if you kept the series when we played uh the miami heat when it was like five game when they had a five game series for the first round and we we, we take the first two in chicago and it's cold and snowy, you know. We go to Miami, and uh, you know that's when they had Steve Smith, Glenn Rice, Ronnie Cycli, uh, Alec Kessel. They had a really nice young team, Grant Long, and so we were actually, you know, thinking about like, what if we lose a game? Yeah, you know, we can stretch this out because if you lost a game, we lose game three, you're gonna have like three days before you have to play game four. So we were like, oh man, it's not so bad staying in Miami an extra you know, three or four days, you know. So we were actually contemplating, like, you know, I'm not saying we were not throw games. We didn't right, do right. that. But it's like, what if we didn't play good and we lost? Yeah. So so MJ, we get to Miami, 
MJ's over at, we stayed in Coconut Grove. So MJ's over at Hooters. Yeah. Partying with The Rock, uh, you know, uh, Warren Sapp, Alonzo Highsmith, Michael Irvin, like all those great, you know, Miami legends were all over at this thing. Dan Marino came over and, you know, MJ's just having a good old time and drinking adult beverages all day long. And you know what adult beverages is, America? It's not Kool-Aid. So he was over there at Hooters. And if you've ever been to Hooters, you know what adult beverage is. So he's over there, and he's just having a good time eating wings. I'm talking about we got off the plane at like 4 o'clock. He was at Hooters like 4.30. Like he, he'd been over there the whole day, all night long. The next day he was over there. So we're like, oh, my God, we're going to lose this game. We're going to lose a game because he's not no, nowhere being prepared to play because he had been mm-hmm. drinking, having a good time. And um, – and Irvin and Michael Irvin, those guys were trying to get him drunk. They even said that. There's, they, you, they, they told stories about this, that they were trying to get him, you know, wasted so he couldn't play so the Miami Heat could win. And he almost fell for the old trick. But I remember, you know, like I tell people all the time, you know, MJ's got that direct line to the man upstairs. Like it's, <laughs> it's like the bat phone. The man upstairs answers it. Don't worry, I got you, MJ. And so the next day, MJ gets on the bus. Now we're all worried. He comes on the bus, you know, he's in his, you know, his $1,500 suit. He's got his dark Ray-Ban glasses on, you know, he's walking on the bus and, and we're all looking at him like, oh my God, we're going to lose this game. So he gets, I was like, and he walks on the bus and he says, how you doing boys? Are you ready to play? Y'all ready in this? And we're all looking at him like, yeah, okay, we're going to end this tonight. So he goes to the back of the bus. We go to the game and that was the game where if you remember, he got a rebound, and they show highlights of this. He got a rebound one-handed, and he starts doing this, you know, yeah, faking sure, everybody, yeah. and then he starts dribbling the ball, and he's dribbling like he's through a minefield, and he dribbles through like all the Miami Heat players and dunks it on the other end, 94 feet the whole way. And you know when a person's been drinking and, they, you know, they sweat a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, he was sweating like, a, like Patrick Ewing because Patrick Ewing sweats a lot. He was sweating like that. And I think he had 40 – 40-something points in that game. He single-handedly beat Miami by himself. And it was amazing because, like, when you had witnessed the two nights, but the night before, you know, he was in no condition to play. And then all of a sudden, man, he just, like MJ did, just turned into Superman, like the (laughs) flu game and all those other things, all those other historical moments that he has. All that stuff is true. Oh, there's no question about it. Hey, we mentioned that we were recording this episode on Thursday afternoon. Da, 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 da. <laughs> it is time to play baseball. An agreement has been reached between Major League Baseball and the Players Association. A tentative deal on a new labor contract. Sources telling Jeff Passan of ESPN still needs to be ratified by both parties. But the idea is they'll start maybe one week later than scheduled. They'll still play all 162 games. I know, Stacey, you're a baseball fan. you got to be happy about this. Yeah, and they needed to because, again, they, the backlash with the fan support was was going to be yeah. it, it it was they might not have recovered they might not have recovered it was a smart thing that they they all, they sat down and they they you know come to an agreement because at the end of the day you know you lose the fan support you know they were already they were already kind of like losing a little bit of it, the luster of it but you know them being able to get a deal down now cuz when i i mean just the last couple of days they were like oh we're going to have to cancel more games and i was like right. oh man like that's not where you want to go if you're there. Yeah. And no, they're going to turn it up to try to get yeah. them ready by the second 
second week of April. Well, and 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 I guarantee you that the the players didn't want to go to spring training anyway. You know, they just like, yeah, oh, cut no, that yeah, short. Yeah, right? Just cut that short. Just like the NBA players don't want to play eight preseason yeah, games. Yeah. You know, so they they feel it's a waste. You know, and so I guarantee you that the players are happy that they didn't have to go to spring training. But on the flip side, you know, how many of those guys were actually, you know, working out hard during the times that they were out? Because now you got to worry about guys not coming in in good shape, you know, pitchers, arms, not ready to go. And, you know, in some of these places they're playing where it's cold and those pitchers, you know, have to be ready to go. Not so much the hitters and the fielders, but the pitchers you worry about, especially during this early months, you know, where it's really cold during the springtime. So when does Carlos Correa sign with the Cubs? We got to get him back Ooh, on the show. Well, you know what? You know, I mean, he, the, the Cubs are going to be bidding against the Yankees, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, I, I think it's it's going to come down to dollars and cents, you know, who's going to give him the most money. Um, but at the same time, you know, does he want to win now? If he wants to win now and always be in position to win, the Yankees are going to win out on that. If the Cubs can give him a pitch that's saying, hey, you know, we're rebuilding, we want to get back to a World Series and we want to, you know, we're going to put the players around you to to do that then it's appealing for him to come to the Cubs because you don't want to be in those situation, Mark, where you're the only star, right? Because then you get everything's your fault. Every all oh, you wouldn't have signed into a big contract. We can't get anybody else, and and they blame you. And that's a tough place to play. Uh, Chicago's not as bad as like say Philadelphia or some other like Los Angeles, some places like that. Fans are you know as long as you're putting up numbers, fans will be like yeah you know. But if you're not putting up those numbers that you need to put up. Yeah, people are going to look at that contract. We are going to see a frenzy. There's like over Ooh. 200 major league free agents who have not been signed. Uh, I read where the free agency, if the deal's ratified, could start tonight. So yeah. you're going to see all these players signing over the weekend and trying to get into camps. It's going to be wild. So if you're a baseball fan, you're going to have a lot of fun over the next few days seeing if your favorite team can bag one of these big stars yeah. for maybe lower money than they would have gotten normally because they might sign short-term deals just to get into camp. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, that's probably what I would do. I mean, unless you need the security, um, you know, I mean, not everybody's going to get – you know, Corey Seager money or, you know, Carlos Correa money. You're not going to get that money. So you may have to take a shorter deal, you know, sign for less and then hope that you can parlay that into a great season and parlay that into next summer. So baseball's back. <clears throat> Stacy's got the classic Baltimore Orioles yes. bird today, but, you know, he's a, a diehard White Sox fan yes, and the America. White Sox are, are – Poised for some really good things. America, don't let the don't let the hat fool you. Okay, first of all, okay, <laughs> I'm not a Baltimore Orioles fan. I'm not. I just like the hat. just likes hats. I'm a I'm a hat collector, so yeah. you'll see me with different hats on. So it doesn't mean I'm supporting yeah. the team. I know I get some people on our on our on our um, YouTube saying, "Oh, Comments, where's the yeah. Sox hat? Why are you not wearing a Sox hat?" I'm a Sox fan. Okay, uh, and the Cubs. I'm not. Sorry, 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 Cubs. But if you see me with a different baseball hat, doesn't mean I'm supporting the team. It means I just like that hat. So I just want to clear that up because I, you know, some people been harassing me about it. Yeah, you look better with a socks hat on. Why are you not wearing a socks hat? Okay, so I just want to clear that up. All right, before we get out of here, uh, we want to tell you about a brand new addition to the hot sauce lineup. I saw on social media, beautiful uh, new graphic package. That looks good. Yes, America, we're coming with. You asked for hot sauce. You wanted a little hotter. You said, Stacy, I like the red, but I would prefer it to be a little hotter because I like my hot sauce hot. So, you know what? <laughs> we decided, me and Timmy Whispers, because Timmy Whispers is my partner, we decided we come up, we came up with Chicago Fire 1871. Tim, give a little bit of, uh, talk about a little bit about it. It's a Carolina Reaper. 
So be prepared. Carolina Reaper. But I'm also working with Pavlon one. We're calling it Putin 2022. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's atomic. Oh, my God. America, he's lying. He, We're not, he's, he's just kidding, America. He's just kidding. We're not. No, no. Oh. Wait a way to have a loose business there, Tim. Oh, Ladies and gentlemen, he's not making no Putin <laughs> atomic. No, that, that shit's not happening, okay? Sorry, but we, but we Sorry, got. Sorry. You know what? We got, we, got, we got a new hot sauce coming out. It's going to be super hot. You'll like it. Uh, it also have a little garlic uh, taste to it. It'll be much stronger than the red sauce that we currently have. So um, for all you traditional hot sauce lovers, <sighs> try it at your own risk. That's all. Is it available you. now at GiveMeTheHotSauce.com? We are. It should, should be, be out. Days. It should be out in the next few days. It's, okay. it's, it should be out before uh, next week. So yeah. um, you know. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we tried it. We like it. You know, and I, I'm not. You know, listen. I'm very. You know, I'm very picky about hot sauces. Yes, but, you know, but so. will she like it too? Yeah, she liked it. You know, my girlfriend Don also was. You know, she was the taste tester. You know, she right. likes spicy foods. I don't really mm -hmm. like spicy food, but she likes spicy foods. And she, she basically was the one who kind of picked it out and put the flavor together for us. So I'm gonna give her credit, and she did like it too. So that's coming soon. Yes, yes. What's the brand name again? Chicago Fire 1871. Tim, right. tell them why we came up with that name, Tim. That's when the Chicago Fire was. When Miss O'Leary's cow kicked over the lantern. All right, ladies and gentlemen. A little, 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 history <laughs> little, little history lesson from Whispers. He doesn't say a lot, but when he does, it's direct. A man of few words. A man of few words. <laughs> Stacy, uh, you guys got the limo waiting out front? You no, we drove ourselves. I drove. Oh, I drove well, the, well I tell drove. the folks about when you see the limo. Yes, yes. I, I, they picked me up last night, though, right. at like 2 in the morning. Okay, my man Mike. Let me tell you what he did last night. This is what Windy City does for me, guys. This is what he'll do for you. But again, you, you just just say Stacy sent you. I don't know if you're gonna get a deal, but just <laughs> say Stacy sent you. Okay. So I get in last night from Detroit, like probably about two in the morning. My driver, Mike, and all the other guys who have drivers too. There was other limousine service there, and they went Windy City. I'm not gonna not gonna call out no names, but there's players out there and people who are using other limousine service. So I get off the plane. We get off on a runway on a private, you know, private plane. My driver from Windy City, Mike, was out there when the bags came off the plane. Ooh, and it was cold nice. last yeah, night. Yeah. Mike was out there last night when the when the bags came off the plane and he grabbed my bags before that? I even touched them. I matter of fact, I, I didn't even know who it was. I was like, hey, man, what are you trying to steal those bags right there? What are you doing? Because I didn't expect to see him out there. And so he's like, it's me, Mike, because it was dark. And I thought somebody was stealing my bags. It was me, Mike. And I'm like, Mike, my, my driver. I'm like, oh, man, what's going on? He said, I'm out here to get your bags. I'm like, now this is why I chose Windy City. So Windy City provides championship service. Making a reservation is so easy, it's a slam dunk. Let Windy City break the full core pressure of traffic and get you to your destination in style and on time. Contact Windy City at 866-94-WINDY. Again, that's 866-94-WINDY. And tell them Stacy sent you, but you're not going to get a discount. <laughs> so don't be mad at me when you say, because I get the Stacy King discount. No, you don't. But I tell you, you'll get great service. 
I think we've touched all the bases here on episode yes, 69. It started out with a whimper, but uh, we ended with some new, like new fire hot sauce. Nothing like a good 69. <laughs> Nothing about the quarterbacks? No Bisky business? Oh. No, we'll save that for another time. Yeah, right. yeah we'll save that. Major League that. Baseball is back. We're excited. Spring oh, is almost here. It'll be cold in Chicago in April, but we're going to have baseball to look forward to, and that's going to be great on both sides of town. 69! Yeah. Gotta love a 69. <laughs> good old 69, Tim. Keeping my mouth shut. Oh, no. This, this episode 69, this is a milestone. That's true. It's a milestone in most people's lives. Yeah, I'm telling you. You, you, you got to experience you a 69. You never forget your first. You never forget your first 69 or your last one. <laughs> Time to get out of here. Bro, thanks get it, Bobble. Mike Wilkins for joining us. Episode 69 is in the books. A brand new episode coming your way very soon. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend, America. And drive home safely, Chicago. Beep, beep. And enjoy a 69 tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Episode 69, you perverts. You know what I'm talking about. Jimmy G. Oh, my goodness. Give me the hot sauce.